streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on today's show, we're going to break down the news that kind of broke late last week, which involved the college football playoff and also a longstanding discussion. Bud Elliott of 24-7 Sports, uh, he has dropped his annual blue chip ratio, and we've got some good news for the Duck fans. Uh, and one in which I think the blue chip ratio has been a talking point in the rivalry between Oregon and Washington, and it's now sliding towards Oregon's benefit. And we'll break that down as well on the second half of this show. But first, Eric, uh, let's discuss the news that came with the college football playoff. Um, they are going to expand, and it, it's not quite clear yet. 100% when that could be possibly this year, maybe more likely the 2023 football season um, when the TV contracts are up and they can redo things. But nonetheless, things are in motion to open things up and make the playoff go from a 14 field, which quite honestly felt like an invitation and not a college football playoff. Agreed to a 12-team field. First four seeds get a buy. There are no automatic bids also given out. What are your thoughts on this? Is this is this progress? Let's look at it from the Pac-12, from the Oregon perspective. Sure. Is this progress that we should all be excited about? I think yes, A, because... Um, our off seasons almost every year focus around can Oregon get to the playoff and Oregon's path to get into the playoff just became a lot easier. Um, I saw somewhere on Twitter and I, I'm having a hard time finding it right now. Um, but there was a tweet that had a recap of using the methodology they're suggesting they're going to use going forward. If they would have done that for previous college football playoffs, Oregon would have been in, I think five of them. And that would have been the, I think the fourth or fifth most amongst teams nationally. Alabama has been in basically all of them. Clemson, Ohio State, same kind of thing. But Oregon, I think it was Florida State and another school, um, it may have been Oklahoma, were tied with five. Um, and, and obviously that's not official, but that was that was a, a thing I saw. And what that tells me is that if you go to 12, and it's pretty obvious, the math is, is, is pretty simple, Oregon has a much better chance of getting to the playoff. The Pac-12 has a much better chance of being represented, which has been, as we said on these podcasts for a while, I think you said it right, this has been like an invitational event, not a playoff. Um so I do like I like the fact that they're expanding. I didn't expect them to go to twelve. I'll be honest. I thought eight was a pretty pretty square number. You go to eight, you have maybe and and, and the fact that there's no auto bids is a bit surprising. I, I thought for a while my my kind of perfect scenario is you get the five power five teams. They all have an auto bid. You have uh, one team from non power five. Some of the smaller school gets in, and then two at larges, and boom, there's your thing. No bye weeks. Eight teams. You get two rounds to get to the championship kind of deal. Um, this is different. This is, this is a little bit larger. I, I like that fact. I also am wary of, of, of the reality that this could, the, the one week buy for those top four teams could make this 
pretty similar end result from what it's been in the past. So I, I do like it in terms of, I, I like the fact that you have more teams, but I, I kind of also go, I, I think we're going to see a lot of the same schools playing for the championship, which is probably going to be the case regardless of how you slice it. But the bye weeks certainly seem advantageous for the Alabamas and Clemsons and Ohio States who are always there anyway. It's always interesting to see the, the fact that the teams five, six, five, six, seven, and eight, okay, they don't get a bye. Exactly. But they get an advantage from a monetary perspective of they get to host a game at at their stadium. That's kind of where things are trending. And the top four seeds, they don't get to play in front of their fans. Their fans are asked, hey, you have to go to the conference championship game on the road. And then you got to wait a couple weeks. And then we're going to have you have to fly out to the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl, one of, one of these bowls. Yeah. And then if you win, we're asking you again to fly to wherever the national championship is. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. Would you rather have the week off or from an athletic stamp, athletic department standpoint, would you rather play a, get a, an extra home game and all the ticket sales and all the, the beer sales, the food sales, the parking sales, the uniform sales, uh, all that comes with it for an extra chance at, a, at another home game. I mean, that th- this is the, the money factor is equally as important as in, in some cases as getting, you know, high levels of success of how do you balance the budget and getting a playoff game at your home stadium will go a long way on the ledger. I'm with you on that. I'll be curious to see what the financials look like for teams yeah. that are, are traveling to these sites. Like, is it, you know, how much, how much are they being paid for being in the quote unquote, I guess, elite eight, however, we're going to call it the second round, whenever those teams get the bye week where, you know, obviously, as you said, neutral sites, but is, are they going to be paid better than the teams the previous week that, I mean, I guess you do get one, one less game, right? So financially it has to be somewhat of an impact. I'll be curious to see how they remedy that. I'm guessing that Nick Saban isn't losing much sleep over the fact that Alabama's budget might be a little bit tighter. He's got one less game to work on. He's got, Honestly, those, those, those teams of the bye week talk about other things that are advantageous. You also have the opportunity to not play. And as you see this in, in the NFL, get a prep for whichever team you're going to play the next week. You get to watch literally the teams that are, you know, that are, that you, they're competing to play you in that next round. So I think there's a lot of advantages to being on, on a bye week. I certainly from a, I, you know, obviously from a budget perspective, financial perspective, that's not where my head goes first. I'm thinking about trying to win a championship, but from a financial perspective, you're right. Maybe, maybe there is some cost to, to being one of the four teams that, that don't get a host and that have one fewer game. But I'm guessing most of the coaches in the country, all the coaches probably would choose one fewer game, a bye week an opportunity to get a little more rest and a little more preparation. Th- those sort of things probably would, would probably super supersede the concerns financially. I, I would imagine for a lot of them. And I, and I'll, I will personally be, just really fascinated by whenever this does come into place, as Matt said, it's kind of uncertain when, but just the dynamic this has in terms of how different conferences are perceived. I know how far we want to go into that, but like, let's say the PAC 12 gets, you know, the PAC 12 should get one team in every year and maybe up to two or three, depending on how strong the league is, how they perform. I just think it's great that they're going to have an opportunity in a national stage to at least try to perform and see how they play. And who knows, maybe they're going to get, rocked on the national stage the first couple of years and that'll be a pretty clear indication that they don't belong but the all i think the opposite's possibly true and maybe they'll upset a couple of teams from the sec or the big 10 that the conferences that are supposedly 
uh, superior, and that will change the narrative too. I think this is a big opportunity from a conference perspective, as we said earlier, of, of getting at least, I think you're basically guaranteed a team in. And if you don't have a team in, you've had an awful season. You probably had three to four to five losses if you don't have one of the top 12 teams. But just that opportunity, I think it's huge for the conference to try to solidify itself um, that it can compete. And if, and if a team, maybe it's Oregon, but if a team can go out there and actually get to that final four and win a championship or at least play for one, that's going to be massive for the league because that's not something the Pac-12 has been able to do in about, gosh, seven years now. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing is – Will this now open the door a little bit more for the conference for Oregon to have a bigger stay in the college football playoff? And um, I, I think it does. I, I think it's an it opportunity. Should. It should. Yeah. And I, I think the the league is is in that weird spot where like they they maybe don't necessarily win the game early on in the season, like the Auburn game for Oregon. And yet they produce a team that's good enough to compete with the three or the four seed in the college football playoff. And just because they don't win one game, the league doesn't win one game early on in non-conference, they get penalized the rest of the year. So I think this opens the door a little bit for them to at least be competitive. Now, if they show up and – they aren't competitive in these games and these like early round games, that's going to be a big concern. Um, and it, it's also going to be a, I'm also curious, like how, what's the staying power of the league? Is it yeah, is the expectation right. that they need to have two every year? Can they get to two or is it just, Hey, it, we need to be happy if, if the league sends one, one team a year. There's going to be some, I think strategic scheduling going on now. Um, from a non-conference perspective, what, what the, the, I think the cost, the analysis of just like the benefit of scheduling an Ohio State or a Georgia in a year, like at the Pac-12, is it is it beneficial for the Pac-12 to have most of its top teams playing these marquee non-conference games, or should they just try to win out in conference, get to thirteen and zero or twelve and one, try to send two teams? I mean, I, I think I'll be curious to see what the impacts are scheduling. And I, and I know some of it doesn't really matter because the, the way these schedules work, they're scheduled like eight to 10 years out. Oregon has a game with the Ohio State scheduled for more. We're going to be like having midlife crises in our mid 40s and 50s by the time those games are played. So like, I understand there's already scheduled on the books, but I just wonder like strategically, what's the, what's the benefit of playing a marquee game like that, Matt? Because if you're trying to really get two to three teams in there, you probably just want to have as few of losses as possible. And, and the conference... Say what you want about the conference. The conference is really competitive. And Oregon, even when Oregon's had really good teams, they've had slip-up games or, or games that at least they've been challenged in the past. So I, I don't know. I, I think getting to, to two has to be the goal every year. If there's 12 teams in there um, and there's five power five conferences, you want to at least get to two. But if they could – I, I don't know. I think scheduling is going to play a role in this too. And how does, how does the committee perceive all of this and pull all of this together? Because it's easy to say – Hey, this is actually good for scheduling these big games because you have a little margin of error. But like, I, I also look at it and say, like, if you, what if you then drop a, a couple games in conference and Oregon may, maybe loses a spot just because they drop a game to Ohio State in September? That that seems kind of unfortunate. But that, th- that's also the way this has worked for a really long time, and, and obviously schools have known that. I do look at this and think um, this is going to make the regular season matter more even though we interesting like the big the biggest dynamic what has been like if you open it up 
and you, you bring in more teams, you're devaluing the regular season. You're, you're, you know, it doesn't really matter now as much as what you do in the year because more teams get in. It's easier to make the playoffs, and then the playoffs become more interesting. But, uh, but realistically, Eric, like we go into November in the old, or I guess the current format mm-hmm. with four teams. We go into November and we know basically that there's about six teams mm-hmm. that have a legitimate chance at getting into the college football playoff. Seven teams, eight teams. We'll, we'll say eight that have a possibility of getting in. And basically that, that gets us down to maybe six to seven games a week where these games matter. Mm-hmm. And it becomes of a case in which where like if, if Oregon loses to Auburn or Ohio state, let's just say in 2020 one, they lose to Ohio state and then they suffer um, early October conference loss. We've seen the analytics on our site, fan interest significantly drops after that second loss because the casual fan, the diehard, the, the guy that probably is listening to this show is going to be paying attention the rest of the way. But yeah. the the average fan, the guy that doesn't know every single starter, but loves watching college football, loves watching Oregon football on Saturdays, as long as it's a good, you know, they're progressing upwards, as long as they've got a chance to, to keep, you know, stay alive for the playoffs, they're still, you know, their interest wanes way off and it's like it's not just an Oregon thing it's it's every school once you kind of get eliminated from the college football playoff you go through about a two or three week span where it's kind of like yeah I'll probably catch maybe the third quarter but I've got a I've got to mow the yard before the game and kids got a soccer game and you know we we also want to go to the pumpkin patch and we want to do this and you know, I, it, it's just a Saturday now. It's not, you know, your your typical hunker down, get everything done on Friday or during the week so that on Saturday everything is devoted to college football, devoted to Oregon football. We lose that fan when Oregon has a second loss for about two or three weeks. And if they build up a couple wins and they're still in the thick of it for the conference championship, then it comes back. But it all depends on when that that second loss happens now and you, you you do this across the board for every school now you come out and you tell yourself two losses it doesn't remove you at all from the college football playoff discussion you are still 100 in the thick of things you can still get your way into the playoff and there it's just okay now you just need to keep winning and i i think in november we go from a game in which every week week in and week out, we had six or seven games that truly shaped the scope of the college football season to now having like 15, 18, maybe even 20 games a week, depending on matchups. And we're going to get more games where it's projected number five seed against the projected number 11 seed playing against each other. I love it from, I mean, okay. So you're seeing playoff expansion or postseason expansion in most professional sports. Um, not to go on another sport too much, but I, I follow the NBA pretty closely. I was a lot more dialed in, and this is how ties into what you're talking about. 
This year they expanded to have a couple extra teams playing for play-in games. I was following the last couple of weeks of the season a lot more closely than I normally would because there were implications for those games. What Matt is saying is going to be 100% true now that they've expanded the number of teams going to the playoff. A game on November, I don't know, pick a date between the number nine ranked team in the country. Let's say it's like Oklahoma State, West Virginia. It's nine versus 14. That game wouldn't have really mattered much, right? That game doesn't usually matter much in mid-November. Sure, it's two teams. Maybe the winner has an outside chance of sneaking into the playoff if they win out, et cetera. Now, that game is like the winner of that is positioning themselves to be in it. The losers probably position themselves to be out of it. Um, th- those are the kind of games that matter now. And it's just, yeah. you're right, it's going to expand the scope of games that, that the casual fan cares about. The, the, it's going to expand the scope of the games that, like, let's say Oregon is positioned to be the sixth, the number six team in the country, right? They now care a lot more about the teams that are seven through 12 that they could be playing or seven through 15 that they could be playing. So you might put on that game between West Virginia and Oklahoma State. You might put on that game between number 15, Tennessee, and number uh, you know, 13 Auburn because they're both right on the cusp because right. those, those teams matter later. You might play those teams and you, and you want to know what happens. So I think that part, don't overlook that part too. I think this is going to be big for the sport. And I think big from just a fan interest perspective of like, you kind of want to watch more games now because there are bigger implications on, on who you might play and, and kind of if you get in or not too, because if Oregon drops a game, maybe one of those teams catches them. So you're rooting for the lower team to win, et cetera. So there's just going to be a lot more on the line. I think there's going to be a lot more time spent on duckterritory.com on the message board, us trying to parse through who you want to win every weekend, which is going to add to a lot more fun of it. Because previously, it, it just hasn't really been that case with, it, you know, with the exception of those seasons where Oregon's legitimately right in the, in the hunt of it. I'm thinking 2019, I lost to Arizona State. We were having conversations at that point of like, okay, you kind of want, maybe you want Utah to win so you can win in the conference championship. You want this team to lose. Those conversations are fun. And the more teams that are in it, the more conversations you get to have like that. What are your thoughts about the league not ensuring that they have an automatic bid as a conference? Now, granted, there are no conferences that have automatic bids. But right. I would have ex- I would have thought that at the be- when this playoff discussion expansion happened and started a couple years ago and really picked up steam this year, that – if we were going to see it expand, the Pac-12 would do everything and anything to ensure, to guarantee that there was an automatic bid for the group, for the power of five leagues, them included, to ensure that no matter what, they send a team in. Now, the SEC doesn't get an automatic bid, but in the current scope of things, it's the six highest conference championships conference champion teams, they get in group of five or power five, they get in. And then after that, you take your next six highest rated teams, regardless if they won their conference or not. So we could see a scenario where let's see, it plays out this way where Alabama finishes number one in the country. They don't lose during the regular season. They win their conference championship game, but then we see like a number six, Georgia, a number nine Florida and a number 12 Texas A&M and the SEC takes a third of the 12 playoffs spots and the PAC 12 could be left literally with, Hey, we we're sending our champion or our champion is number seven. And there's the SEC, there's the big 10, there's the ACC, there's the big 12. And then let's say like, 
Boise State goes undefeated and they finish the year fifth in the country, well, they they've got one of the the bids and the conference at the Pac-12 level could be really shaking their boots thinking, okay, hopefully there's not another, you know, American conference or uh, the UCF. Uh, are they, did they win their conference and are they, are they in the top 10? Because if that's the case, the Pac-12 could, could be out of, of an automatic bid, which is really interesting. I, I'm absolutely surprised that, that this is where it's going and that the league Pac-12 didn't try and hammer home an automatic bid for the, for them and for all the other Power Five conferences. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I mean, the first one is it's interesting because it goes against the way postseason works in the rest of NCAA sports. Right. I, I believe every single other sport, and obviously there, are, I might be mistaken. You have an auto bid for the conference champion to automatically get a spot in there. And I, I will say there's no auto bid, but like if the Pac-12 doesn't have one of the top 12 teams. That's just that's a debacle of a season. It stinks, but they maybe don't deserve to have a team in there. I mean, I know that's that's kind of crazy and counterintuitive, but like if if the Pac-12 can't get a team with three losses that should be in the playoff, that's like that, that that's that's kind of on them. I think to a certain degree. I mean, that's kind of on one of the teams needs to step up and, and just be better. And, and frankly, it, it, and I might be seeing a totally different tune in three years if this is something that is happening consistently, where the Pac-12 literally just can't get a team in there and they've expanded to twelve. Um, but like my perspective now is I, I think they're going to get at least one team in every year. Now um, is, is the SEC or the ACC or the big 10 more likely to get more probably, but that's also kind of built in with the expectation with what the perceptions are nationally. And I think it's a Pac 12's job to go change it. If they can, if they can go out there and, and get two to three teams in and those teams play well in the tournament and, and maybe they get a couple teams to the semifinals, you know, that or a team to the quarterfinals, I guess that'd be pretty significant. That would be big for, for establishing that. And I think the other thought I had here is there's no auto bids in, but my understanding is the top four seeds who get the buys, those all have to be conference champions, right? Like SEC couldn't sneak Alabama and then also Georgia as a second team, maybe another top four. So I actually think that part of it, I know there's no conference champion established, but that part of it could help the Pac-12 where maybe, maybe teams one, two, three, four, and five, you know, uh, you know, two of those teams are, are from the SEC or the an, another non-conference champions and Oregon has a six best team or a Pac-12 team does, but they still get the bye week. I, I'm pretty sure I've got that right in terms of, I think you have to be a conference champion to have a bye. Um, so that part right there, I think is, is potentially beneficial too. So it's weird how they've set all this up. Um, in a perfect world, I still don't quite understand the no conference champion thing. I think it'll work itself out though, where, where it would be a really down year if the conference doesn't send at least its top team to this thing. Um, and if that's the case and that comes a, a, a you know, a regular occurrence, which I'm not expecting it will be, then that's going to be cause for concern for the league for sure, <laughs> because you need to have one of the 12 teams in there every season. If you're, if you want to legitimize yourself as a real, a real major conference, which frankly, the conference is kind of tilting. They're kind of right on the edge right now of, of kind of falling off that, that standing, yeah. I think. Yeah. So big years ahead. Now, the other bit of news that came out earlier on Monday, we recorded this show on Monday as well, is Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio. Um, the 16 teams who can win a national championship. Um, and in his story, he says, what is the minimal level of recruiting required to win at all? Put simply, to win a national championship, college football teams need to sign more four- and five-star recruits, a.k.a. blue chips, 
than two and three star players over the previous four recruiting classes. This has been true basically as far back as modern internet recruitings have existed. Uh, and then he goes on to say media will hype a team, which has not met the threshold as a national title contender, but history has shown this is not a smart practice. He, he mentions think Wisconsin, Baylor, Michigan state, TCU, Utah over the last decade. And quite honestly, like Oregon should, should have been mentioned in that. Like, cause I, I believe this is the first time they've cracked into the blue chip ratio of being in, in this, in this list. Um, and he's got them in there now where Oregon's roster is 56% composed of four and five star prospects. Now they are the highest rated team from a roster complete, you know, composition standpoint in the conference. USC is at 53%, which is mind boggling how far the Trojans have fallen in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but Oregon has cracked this list at 56%. And to give you a perspective, though, of still what Oregon is trying to climb and where they are trying to get to, there is a big jump with the big three. Alabama is at 84. Georgia is at 80. Ohio State is at 79%. I'm kind of surprised Clemson is at 67%. Yeah. Um, that, that, that blows me away. They are fourth. And then LSU is fifth at 66. They're tied for fifth with a host of other schools. But the teams that have won national championships the last, I don't know, 10 years, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU, they're all in the top five. Yeah, nothing on this list surprised me. Um, <laughs> you're right. I mean, I think the first thing that does stand out is the gap from schools like Oregon, which are quote unquote in the discussion, and that top three. I mean, that's a, that's a darn near 30% difference between what Oregon has and Alabama. Um, and, and I think, I think this really illustrates the kind of uh, the kind of dynamic the, the college football is playing with right now, where there are teams that are just significantly more talented and, and, and it's going to take a ton for the teams basically beneath them to compete. And I would include Clemson in there. I know they're 67%, which is 12% below Ohio state and, and really kind of lumped in with, the group you mentioned a second ago, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, and Florida are all within one percentage point of Clemson. But it, it, it does seem like Clemson belongs in that top group, at least traditionally. But boy, for Oregon to have its most talented team, I think, ever, and it still be 30% off the best team in the country, I think that just speaks to the way things are going. And if you're Oregon, clearly you need to get to about two-thirds of your roster. I think it kind of tells you a little bit of kind of, you know, where to put the carrot going forward. Where, what's, what's, what do you need to chase? If you want to really, really contend, you need to have about two-thirds of your roster comprised of four and five stars. Oregon yeah. currently has just over 50%, which is great, which is great. I mean, the fact They're that it's- trending 100%. in the right direction. 100%. I, I'd actually love to see progression over the course of the last, and maybe Bud has this with all the stories he's done, but uh, I'd love to see a progression from like 2018 or so when Mario took over until now in terms of what the blue chip ratio, maybe that's- a piece we can actually start trying to do on the side or something and just to kind of analyze that, but um, heading the right direction for sure. But I do think this illustrates that just the tall climb they have to get to the top because it's not easy to get there. And I hate to say, but the reality is, is I think there's a threshold for Oregon and I would be stunned if they can ever really get over 67%. I don't know if they can ever get into that top three where they're 80% of the roster is comprised of four and five stars. That's just an incredibly tall ask. Um, even this most recent recruiting class is is closer to two thirds than it is 80% four and five stars. And this previous recruiting class is 
far and away the, the most complete and I think the best that Oregon's ever had. Yeah. It, and look, it, it goes back to, you know, Bud discusses the Ducks a little bit, um, as well as uh, a couple other schools, and we'll touch on it. But here's what he says about Oregon. Uh, Mario Cristobal has done strong work with Oregon's roster. Talk to those on his staff, and they'll tell you he finds a way to bring up the importance of recruiting in almost every meeting. The results on signing day have followed. Surprisingly, this is the first time the Ducks have been over the threshold. Oregon fans were quite salty in the comments last year and proclaimed that they would quickly overtake Washington. And the Washington fans said their Huskies would take advantage of a super talented year in the state and clean up. The Duck fans were right. Uh, and then he goes on to talk a little bit more about Washington saying, I really thought Jimmy Lake would improve Washington's recruiting, but it has just not happened. After signing 27 blue chip players in 2018, 2019, the Huskies have signed just 13 in the recent two years. And that's, what I mentioned at the very beginning of the show when we talked about this is this has been a long feud between the Oregon <laughs> fan base and the Washington fan base, the blue chip ratio Oregon fan. The last three or four years has talked about, Hey, we're on the come up. You guys are on the downtrend. We are going to become the, the power that once was uh, Oregon football that ran the conference for about six years. Duck fan was saying, we're getting back to that. Washington fan obviously backtracked that, did not agree. They they claimed their two league titles under Chris Peterson. Uh, they talked a lot about how the blue chip ratio effect was in, in play and how Oregon was all, 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 all sizzle, a little, little flash. Uh, it didn't, didn't have the substance there to, to back up their claims. And, and now the, the roles are reversing here a little bit. Oregon is trending up. And they're, they are now, I mean, I, I think they're the perceived favorite in the league going into the 2021. Um, Washington is downtrending and they have fallen out of the blue chip ratio for 2021 after being in there in 2020 in which Oregon was not. So this is only going to stoke the fires even more between these two fan bases. And I'm all here for it. Were you surprised like I were, was that just how poorly Washington did in its home state? In 2021, oh, I mean, I, I just pull. I, I, I mean, they had nine four-star recruits and and three five-star recruits, and there's a possibility. Well, I'm a very strong likelihood because JT Tumalau is the number one player. He's a five-star. Um, he's undecided, but he will very unlikely to pick Washington. There's a shot that they end up with less than 50 percent of these four stars and and only one of the three five stars. A pretty good chance. Um, they saw players go to Ohio State, USC, even though Arizona State and Virginia that were four-star or five-star recruits this last year. That just shouldn't happen, you know. I mean, and, and you you know, the, you can say what you want about the state of Oregon from a recruiting perspective. Oregon does not have the same geographic, you know, advantages from a recruiting perspective ever. And the fact that Washington had such a stacked year and couldn't do it, I thought that was really telling in terms of Jimmy Lake and. When, the, when there are classes where there's less talent there, and I think 2022, I think, sort of suffices, at least from a five-star perspective, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys put it together. Um, I think there should be legitimate concerns if you're a Washington fan just about the recruiting because it's not been quite good enough. Um, and the thing that's going to tell is, is what happens on the field. And we talk about this rivalry, and I know we're going to go on a little Oregon-Washington. It is heightened because of these because of this kind of blue-chip stuff yeah. and the recruiting success, but it's heightened because there was a lot of bizarre stuff that took place right around the time they were supposed to play this last fall. Um, that was a game for the conference championship. Washington says that they that got postponed. Washington thinks they won the division championship. Oregon actually played for it. 
Uh, they didn't get to play a game for the first time in, I think, almost 100 years. So, like, there's a lot of going on in this rivalry, and, and not to go too far down it, but just it's going to be really fun. I think this year the rivalry feels like it has as much fuel as ever, and plausibly this is the two best teams in the Pac-12 North, and they're going to probably face off at some point, uh, you know, well, when they play for, an, for a conference and division championship kind of on the line. So the fact that all of this stuff is going on and we're having these conversations in, in mid-June and, and there's all of these storylines already, I think speaks to what's going to be a really, really fun year in the division and especially between these two, these two rivalry programs, which we should note, historically at least haven't really been both at the top of their games at the same time, um, at least for, I don't know, 15 or, or so years. It's definitely going to heighten the, I guess, nastiness between mm-hmm. these two fan bases. Um, because we are going to see, I mean, this was like the talking point for Oregon. Oh, don't Washington fan. You don't understand recruiting is lifeblood. We're going to win. We're, we're more than just fancy facilities and new uniforms and yada, yada, yada. We're bringing in elite, elite talent. And then Washington's fan base would retort back by saying, yeah, but you're not in the blue chip ratio and we are, we've got better, we've got more of the high profile recruits than you do. And you're just a flash in the pan right now. And it, it, this is only going to the spin job from both fan bases is only going to go up even more because of this. <laughs> and, I, and I love it. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here on today's episode of the odds and audibles podcast until we talk to you on the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.